Welcome to A Longer Table Podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. Friends, I am so excited. I'm sitting here just giggling with Tabitha. Uh, She and I connected on Instagram. We can't really remember exactly how or why, but it was years ago, honestly. And Tabitha is a fellow writer and speaker. She's also a therapist and writes pep talks for the persistent soul. I have always been attracted to her and the way that she communicates online. It's really gracious and beautiful. And there's space for the gray, which as you all know, I love and appreciate so much. So Tabitha, Tabitha. Wow, I can't talk. Thanks for (laughs) being on a longer table today. Ah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about your professional background as a writer, speaker, therapist. What projects are you currently working on? And do you actually create your own beautiful art on Instagram? Or do you have someone who does that? Because it's beautiful. The aesthetic is like, it's a dream. Oh, I appreciate you noticing that. I do create my own graphics most of the time. There's a limit to my capacity there. Like I'm not, I'm not as professional as some of these people on Instagram, but oh man, um, gosh, yeah. So I am a writer. I've been writing for a long time. I've been on the internet for a long time, um, like you. And I've just recently entered into the world of speaking and that's been a blessing. Um, and I'm a therapist. Yeah. I actually was a school counselor. I specifically worked with kids for um, many years before becoming a stay at home mom. And now I'm just going back into the field and I'm really excited because what I'm doing is collaborating with local churches to restore the relationship between mental health and our spiritual health. Mm -hmm. Um, and just looking to be a resource to those churches to have somebody who is not necessarily part of their congregation, but someone they can refer people out to, um, and specifically speak into mental health, but from a faith-based perspective. So really just excited to get that up and running and get back into it. Um, I I love that. It's so needed and so important. And I want to kind of back up in your story. So how many kids do you have and what are their ages? And and I'm so curious about the shift from being a working woman to then being a stay-at-home mom. And obviously your season is shifting again and you're about to be re-entering the workforce or you recently have. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh man. Well, first you have to know that one of the biggest contentions between my husband and I were, was that I did not want to be a stay at home mom. I absolutely outright refused from the beginning of our marriage. And we had so many conversations about it and he eventually just sort of backed away from trying to pursue that. It was just something that he was passionate about, but again, understood like that this was something that I really wanted was a career. Um, and then we had our first and he's eight. Um, and I started thinking, Oh, maybe God was really just softening my heart. Honestly. Um, then we had our daughter who's now six. And that was when I really began to realize I wanted to be at home with our kids. Um, and then we ended up having a third and he's four. So we have a full house, eight, six, and four. Um, and yeah, it was, even though I was in a really good place to take a step back from my career, it definitely, um, 
it was a season of grief for me that I don't know that many people really understood. And it was really difficult to navigate on my own because I had put so much of my identity in what I did. Um, and so having that completely <laughs> taken out of my life became, it was just, who am I? Like, is, am I, am I anything anymore because I don't have this career? Um, and so God and I really navigated that together. And I've come to this place. Really, the bigger question was, am I just what I do mm-hmm. or am I more than that? And, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful that I was able to tackle that early on in motherhood because motherhood is also not all of who I am. And so, you know, I've had that ability to kind of separate myself from those things and not identify myself by them. but enjoy them for what they are, you know, just gifts. Um, so now going back into the workforce, it, I'm a little, I mean, I mean, a little apprehensive, like what's it going to look like to balance both of those things? Um, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing it on a regular basis. And so, um, I'm tentative, but I, I do feel like more now than ever, my heart is in the right place. And that feels like a really good place to be. So no, that's amazing. Will you be at the same school that your kids are attending or will you be doing the, the church thing is kind of outside of the school, school world. So you won't be going back into school counseling. Yeah. Yeah. I won't be going back to, into school counseling. I decided long ago that, I mean, I just bless all the educators because (laughs) it's a, it's a very, I was burnt out by the time I had left. And so now I get to be in a different establishment and I get to be with adults instead of kids. So that's a huge change. Um, my youngest will be in preschool twice a week. And so that, that'll be kind of the time that I go and, you know, do my, do my own thing at different churches. Yeah. I, I love a few things that you named in, in that explanation of everything. I love that you named that um, you aren't what you do and like coming to realize that and and just kind of navigating that uh, probably was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. I know that's something I'm kind of always ongoing um, wrestling with for, for lack of other words. But also I like that you pointed out, like even when you did enter stay at home mom life and your heart was softened to that and you kind of embraced it and, and probably enjoyed it uh, at, at least a lot of the time, maybe not all the time, but that motherhood wasn't your full identity either. Because I think the pendulum tends to swing to one extreme or another a lot. We see um, people who are working moms who very much, it's like, they're very proud of that. And that's okay to be proud of, but you can almost see that's like a chip on the shoulder. It's like they're, it's, it's part of their identity that they need everyone to know and, and feel really strongly about. And maybe uh, if if they're in an unhealed, hurting place, can even like jab at those who choose to stay home. And then the the opposite happens as well. Um, I see stay at home moms who are just like I can't imagine. I remember a, a person uh, that I'm connected with on the internet. I'm gonna try to stop calling people my friends that I've never met that I'm just connected with on the internet. But I remember she was like she did this thing. And boy, did it trigger me. Um, she basically was like, I cannot imagine not wanting to stay home with my babies. Da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, that that is fair. Like, I, I believe that is true for you, that, that if your dream is to be home with your babies and like you just can't imagine another world, like that's that's beautiful. And that's that's wonderful that you have the privilege of doing that. But let's acknowledge, number one, that that's a privilege. A lot of women don't get the opportunity to even choose. Uh, but then also... It, there was like this like shame component where I was like, 
why, why do I feel so sad right now that I don't want to be home with my son? I don't love him any less than you love your kids. I just, there's something different about the way that I'm wired or my life experiences. So I just love that you've gotten to be on kind of both sides of the coin and that you speak about all this so graciously for those who can relate on one, in one way or another. Um, something that I want to ask you, because I, I think you've written about this pretty publicly, is rejection. You faced rejection um, time and time again. How, how has rejection influenced your life? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. On just so many levels. You know, more basic, my biological dad, he left me and my, my mom when I was, um, well, my mom divorced him because he wasn't, he was an addict, but rather than stay in my life, he left and just disappeared. I mean, I haven't spoken to him for, you know, the last 35 years. Um, and unfortunately he, he passed away last year, um, from his addiction. And so that is like a really uh, significant level of rejection to be abandoned by a parent, but that is like the basic foundation of, of what's marked me. Um, and then, you know, I think rejection impacts all of us on one level or another. I don't think any one of us can escape it. Um, however, I've just noticed recently, just in the last decade, um, we went through a pretty significant circumstance where we left the church that we had been at for a decade. Um, and I felt a lot of rejection in that season as we were walking through that hurt, um, and really trying to deal with it and heal from those wounds. Um, and then just even more recently, man, I went through two really difficult friendship breakups, which I mean, no one prepares you for it, but I just don't, it, it is, it is hard. And that really like re-triggered a lot of this rejection feeling that I was really harboring within me um, and realizing that it has significantly marked me. It, it's really changed the way that I interact with people. Um, it changes the way that I look at myself. It changes even the way that I relate to God. Um and so knowing that it's it's really compelled me to talk about it more because I just don't know that we all really personally I just haven't seen a lot of information out there about how to walk through it, you know. Yeah, which totally makes sense because I can think off the top of my head like a handful of times that I've felt or been rejected and those aren't the things that we typically like put out there for the world because I think ejection, well, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. I think rejection has this really kind of like this extra layer to it. Um, it's so like filled with shame for the person who's been rejected. Yeah, rejection has this like component with shame that's so deep and it might be easier to to be out about things that... Um, maybe you've rejected or like friends that you've put up boundaries with or times that you've said no or turned things down. But to be on the other side of that is kind of humiliating. It's embarrassing, even if you're not the one at fault. Like just hypothetically, one of the friendship breakups you just went through, I, I'm sure it wasn't just that you weren't a good friend and they said, I can't be your friend anymore. I obviously don't know the details or the context of it, but a lot of times when a relationship specifically ends, I feel like, or there's rejection, 
um, number one, that there's two parties involved, but there's probably ways that maybe one or the other person was triggering the other, um, was kind of poking at unhealed past wounds. And it actually doesn't have to do with you, but they reject you because of what the relationship is bringing up for them. I don't know. That's just a thought that I had. But from your experience and your kind of therapist perspective, do you think a lot of people are struggling secretly with rejection or or dealing with this on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, I think just even looking at our climate right now, you know, and how just segregated we are, you know, in America specifically, you know, I think we are dealing with cancel culture, unfollowing people, unliking people, um, blocking people. Um, we, there's this just explicit rejection that's happening on a regular basis based off of our moral code or our opinions or the values that we hold, or even just how people perceive us. Um, so I think that is an undercurrent, whether we realize it or not is impacting our relationships, not to just mention that that kind of thing is happening in our neighborhoods or in our communities. You know, I've, I've even just recently witnessed, um, some people that I know who were friends, but based off of just difference, both rejected one another. Um, and, you know, I think families, people are experiencing estrangement, you know, where parents are watching their children set really hard boundaries. And that's what's can be a little bit gray sometimes is we still experience, we can still experience healthy boundaries as rejection too. Right. Mm. And so it's not that that person is in the wrong for needing to set a boundary, but the person on the other end is having to deal with the constant, the emotional consequence of that themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, and then obviously there's like the minor things too, right. Um, jobs and careers, you know, when we're going out for something that we really desire and we're told no. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it really is a, a very much a part of our, our daily life. We can't avoid it. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that was coming up for me when you specifically mentioned that someone's boundaries, even if they're healthy and they're not like, um, you know, ridiculous, but just a healthy boundary that someone might set could be perceived or received as rejection um, and, and hurt in some way. I was just talking to someone about the, the fact that I was telling her that sometimes hosting can be a little much for me. It can be a little overwhelming. Um, most people don't realize I'm an introvert. I to, to recharge, I have to have a lot of alone time. Um, even though I'm a very social person and I put my life out there publicly, that is not an accurate portrayal of like the inner workings of my soul. And so I need a lot of alone time. And hosting for my husband, if you could see like inside our chest, okay, this is a weird analogy, but like for him, if there was a battery right here inside our chest, his battery would be charging the whole time he's with people. It would just be like charging, like supercharged. He loves it. For me, it drains. You can just see it going down. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not having a good time, but by the end of the night, like I am peopled out. So needless to say, when we host... Um, both when we were living in Chicago and especially now that we live in LA, we're so far from family and friends that when they come to visit, we're always, of course, we want to be hospitable hosts and we love them. So we're like, come and stay with us. And we have this, this studio space that I'm sitting in right now that has a futon and that's our spare bedroom. And I, I do love having our family and friends, but I have noticed sometimes it just feels like a lot. And it's not that the people are a lot. They're not needy. Like 
they're not high maintenance. It's it's something more with me. Well, I was talking to a friend and she said that she has a boundary that she implemented with her family. And whenever they come to visit, she lives far from them too. She just, the, the kind of rule, the boundary is you stay at a hotel. We'll see you morning and all day. And even at night, you know, you can put the grandkids to bed, whatever, you know, this is talking about like her parents or her in-laws. Um, but then they go and they sleep at their own hotel. And I told her, I was like, oh, I just would feel so bad. And it's something I've been thinking about because I I feel like that boundary that I would want to put in place for myself might be received as rejection or something really hurtful to to my in-laws or my parents or my the rest of our family and friends. When in reality, what I want them to know is it actually has nothing to do with them. I'm not rejecting them. It has to do with I want to be able to feel and and just be my best and like enjoy my time to the fullest with them. And perhaps having that physical space, especially when they're staying for, you know, four to seven nights in a row, it can just, it it does something to me. Does that make sense what I'm describing? Yeah, it does. You're basically, you're basically, your desire is that rejection isn't perceived or that they wouldn't perceive that boundary as a personal attack or assault on who they are. Right. Yes. But we don't have we, we also don't have control over how people perceive the things that we set in place in those relationships. And so, you know, the goal is to help people navigate that and not take it personally or learn that it's not personal. Oftentimes, sometimes it is right. And so trying right. to, trying to enter into that, like, I'm just thinking, uh, you know, as somebody who's been both abandoned by her dad, but also understands what it's like to put someone else, put boundaries on me. Like I can realize, okay, this isn't personal on this side, but there's also, I can also deal with the grief or the frustration or the sadness of that person setting a boundary in place. Right. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's hard. Cause it's almost like if someone, if the person who's receiving the boundary isn't in a healthy place, or they have their own past woundings, then it, it, do you see how it feels like a cycle of just like, I'm re-triggering you, you're triggering me. It's like, no wonder <laughs> relationships are so hard. They're so hard. Okay. The, the other thing I want to mention is you talked about getting rejected, like in the sense of now that we're kind of past, we talked a little bit about the boundary side of things, but just just kind of like what I would call like true rejection, like where you actually hear back from a job and they're saying, nope, we're going with a different candidate. Or you submit a book proposal and they say, nope, you don't have a large enough following, speaking from personal experience a million times before my deal. Um, there's so many different ways that we experience rejection in that sense. Um, you, I've heard you say that rejection is an invitation to resurrection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is powerful. T walk me through that. <laughs> you know, I, I think because I was starting to get frustrated, we like, we know there's like these quotes or pithy statements that start getting circulated online and then they become part of regular conversations. So when you're rejected, people are like, it's just redirection, right? Ah, mm -hmm. You're, it's just an opportunity to go a different way or, um, trying to think of other ones. Like it happens to everyone. You know, we, we just sort of want to one door closed is another door open or yes, those types one. of things. Yeah. It's like, if God closed the door, he'll crack open a window. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know, it's just, I was just really 
getting frustrated with this really just what I felt like was just putting a bandaid on something that for a lot of people feels like an open wound. Like sometimes people need surgery and not just a first aid kit. And, and as I walked through it on my own, I just really began to question like, what, what is the purpose of this? This is something that's inevitable. It's something that I can't escape. And so I have to be able to find a way through through this pain. And honestly, I just thought of Jesus on the cr- on the cross thinking of him asking God why God has forsaken him, why he has left him. And and realizing that you know, Christ suffered and we suffer and that that on the other end of that suffering there's new life. And I began to see it in my own life, you know, as I I I went through this rejection with these friends of mine and I really was struggling and really that shame that you were talking about was beginning to sort of descend into this place of like, well, what's wrong with me? Like I'm unlovable. Um, You know, I'm, I, I'm not worthy of being in a relationship and really making it about myself. And I just felt like I, Christ was beckoning me to press into the, this situation and, and allow myself to feel it for what it is, but also understand that he died on the cross so that rejection would die with him. And there's a lot of ways that I began to walk that out practically, but that's more of the conceptual piece is that we get to have new life after having suffered, that that doesn't have to be that we don't have, we don't have to be identified by it. It doesn't have to define us anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of the cliche sticky statements that we see floating around online, they're often like, like it, it almost dismisses the pain and says like, oh, but the next best thing is like right around the corner, which I do believe redemption is around every corner. But like, if you get rejected by your friend uh, it doesn't necessarily mean some of those sticky statements would probably make you believe that in in very short time they're going to come around and apologize and there's going to be this friendship again. Um, sometimes that happens. Really cool. Sometimes it doesn't. A lot of times it doesn't. Um, and I think what I hear you saying is that when we experience rejection from a friend or with a, in a job or with a pursuit of any kind, that instead of necessarily focusing on the like the miraculous, potentially miraculous way that it works itself out, perhaps we can look inward mm-hmm. um, and and we can use that as a time to allow God to birth something new in us. Yeah. So maybe that's a new way of being in relationship with others or yeah. a new way of uh, recognizing our identity. I, I, it's hard to communicate because you're talking about really deep inner stuff here, stuff that nobody else can see. Like nobody knows our motives. Nobody knows what we think. Nobody knows, how, you know, what our prayer life looks like. But that's what we're talking about is like the inner stuff. Yeah. What, I mean, maybe you've looked into it, but what, what does the Bible say about rejection or how as Christians are we supposed to handle it? Like, is it bad if I express rejection? Is there a healthy way? So so I guess what I'm really getting to is the cancel culture. So maybe someone online, I don't really want to be connected to them anymore. 
if I unfollow them, is that automatically considered cancel culture? Or does it matter? Do the motives matter? Let's talk about that. Like, do you ever unfollow someone online? I actually just blocked somebody last week. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that was a very difficult decision to come to, but I, I did it to set boundaries for my own mental health. Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't know that the Bible specifically talks about how we are to handle that. There is, there is a scripture I'm struggling to remember where it's at, but Jesus is telling the disciples to go into towns and basically preach the gospel. And he makes mention of if they don't receive you, just dust the sandals or dust the dirt off of your sandals on. Um, and so what I get from that is that we should really, we should handle it with grace and be able to just be able to be very fluid in context in how people are receiving us or how a, a situation is happening or occurring. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that it's, I think in my own journey, and this is where it gets difficult because you're right. We are talking about really like inner inner workings of our hearts. And I think it's important for whoever's listening to know that it is a healing journey. And so we're all at different parts in the process, but the place that I eventually have gotten to is that if, if I'm living in this resurrected, if I'm practicing resurrection in my own life, like if I'm putting like hands and feet to this idea, then I'm also practicing generosity and humility with other people, mm-hmm. which means that I'm going to err on the side of being as gracious and open to other people as I possibly can. And I say that knowing that boundaries are important, right? I just just told you I blocked somebody. Yes, <laughs> right? yeah. I do think intentions matter. And I think that the problem is that most people, they pull the trigger too quickly, right? Like it's, it's an immediate emotional reaction. And it's like this, like guttural, like, this is how I feel I need to protect myself. Um, and sometimes I think people block or unfollow because of fear of rejection themselves. Like they're afraid of the other person rejecting them. So they're protecting themselves. Um, And so I think that it happens more often than it should is maybe what I'm saying. I think that the thing that I'm trying to aspire to is to be a more generous person in how I love people because of how Christ loves me. And that's the new life in me. Um, And that makes it really difficult. And it challenges me because there are people who I want to put at arm's length um, that I'm learning that that's really the probably the least appropriate thing for me to do or the least Christ-like thing Mm. for me to do. I realize that sounds so difficult to like to do in real life. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, like following Jesus isn't all easy and fun and sunshine and rainbows. And that's the hard thing too, is like, I'll try to talk about it or put it out there on social media, like different things in our life. Like even with foster care, okay? One tangible way that I feel is a part of our journey in trying to live a life of radical love and inclusion and uh, selflessness and whatever. Not that we do it perfectly, but even putting that out there, it like paints this really pretty picture. And sometimes it is really beautiful, but I, there's also the other side. It is freaking hard 
do I really want to step back in right now? Not really, because my life's a lot easier without without it. My life, like my time, like I have so much more time. When we pick back up with fostering, like we're going to very soon. Mm-hmm. Oh man, like did you notice I just took a huge inhale? Like it's just like my lungs need to fill up. I I'm gotta brace myself. Now I think we're gonna do it a lot better. We've learned a thing or two from our experience and we're gonna try to do it as best we can with sustainable rhythms and a lot of uh self-care and support in place. But it's trauma-filled. It's dirty. It's messy. It takes up so much of my time. I have to answer phone calls from people that drive me insane, whether it's a biological parent of a kid in care or a caseworker or a GAL or a CASA or you name it. Like There's just a lot that's happening. I'm talking about that, not to go on a tangent, but just to come back to say that what you're describing in what you feel that God has called of all of us and and what God's really teaching you and taking you on a journey with right now to to love so generously and to actually come towards the people that sometimes you want to put at arm's distance that's that is part of following Jesus it's not all easy if it is all easy i wonder if we're actually doing it with integrity and authenticity and if we're or if we're missing the mark yeah man i've just been thinking about that a lot lately mm. Like even on social media the other week, I responded to someone's stories. I really, I like so passionately and wholeheartedly disagreed with what they were saying in their stories about a political issue. And I responded, I appreciate, and I I did it very intentionally and I'll say why. I didn't do it condescending, uh, but I said, I appreciate you sharing your opinion. I value and respect your beliefs. And I, and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons that you believe what you do based on your life experiences. If you'd ever want to have a conversation, I'd love to get on the phone and chat about why I think this might be problematic and, uh, not, not super relevant to a lot of people who don't have the privileges that you and I have. And it actually opened the door for such a beautiful, uh, back and forth with this person, which thankfully I met, I think I, happened to catch them on a really good day, right? Because a lot of times, even if I got some type of message like that, I would just automatically get defensive. But anyway, (laughs) I'm just saying like, I feel like what we're talking about, we started talking about rejection, but I think what we're really talking about is relationships. They're just really hard. And then we live in a time where we're in, not really in a relationship, but we're sort of on, uh, on a surface level, we're connected to way more people than we were ever intended to be connected to. Like technology is amazing, but also, gosh, why why couldn't Jesus have lived in the time of technology? I'd love to see how he lived then. I I, I would be so curious. He wouldn't be on Instagram, that's for sure. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> I, I I believe that. I, I do. I don't think you're totally wrong there. Um, I was going to say this. I yeah. think the difference is, and, and this has been part of my own healing process, is we forget to show ourselves compassion, right? And that in turn disconnects us from the ability to show other people compassion. And in order to really one heal from our own rejection scars, we, we have to be able to see the compassion that we can give ourselves the grace. And, and I think that's the antidote to shame, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and also seeing God's grace towards us and Christ's compassion towards us. And when we take the time to really um, practice that in our own lives, then when you get online or when you're having conversations with people who you would like to just 
dehumanize, um, you can, you can do that with grace. I think that like, you're a perfect example of that. I mean, you are somebody who has really dug into soul care and what it looks like to work on the inner workings of your heart. And because you've practiced that compassion and grace for yourself, you remember that you have a story and other people have stories. And so you navigate life acknowledging that this person has a story, this person has wounds, this person has hurt. And so your immediate response isn't to reject them, but it's to show them unconditional positive regard and unconditional love, despite what they might say or do. And I think that's where the system is broken is that we have so many hurting broken people who don't know what it's like to sit in unconditional love. And so they themselves don't know how to give it to other people. And so it just continues on in this vicious cycle of people just hating each other because they've forgotten and they, they themselves haven't experienced it. And then you have a society like what we have now where people just bite each other's heads off and have forgotten, you know, what it's like. Yes. No, totally preach. Like the whole time I was thinking too, in my book, I wrote a chapter called You're Already Good. And there have been some people uh, within the Christian community who are like, I don't like that. That feels very self-love and um, you're not good and you're not enough. And But that's okay because you have Jesus. I, personally, I don't subscribe to that theology or that way of thinking. But part of where you're already good comes from is that for me, I spent so much of my life trying to be good and prove that I was good, and that didn't lead me down a very fruitful, abundant path. It actually was very destructive and damaging. But when I actually decided to take God's word as a truth and believe it and just almost like an experiment, like what would happen if I actually believed that I was fully loved by God, even even despite all my stuff, even with all that, um, if I was, if I'm, if I'm just good and I live from that place, how will that change everything? And it, and it did, it changed everything and it continues to, but it's not something that's a one and done thing. It's like, I have to keep coming back. I have to keep remembering. I have to keep doing different practices in my spiritual life and, and in caring for my soul, as you described. Um, but it does change everything. So when when we receive something that feels like major rejection or wounding coming at us from somebody else, I think one of the best things to do is, uh, you, you named it earlier, is not be impulsive with that as best as you can. I think impulsivity and reactivity is a sign of an immature person or an immature faith. And I, I'm, and I'm not trying to like speak from from way up high like I I find myself doing this I got into an argument online the other day and I was like why am I spending my energy commenting back and forth with a troll but anyone can get sucked into it right so no one is immune to this but it's like if we can also just take a moment to remember the ways that we are loved and we've been shown grace and then live from that place, um, we are bound to be more kind and compassionate, loving humans to everybody else. I think everything you're saying makes so much sense. It's so good. So, so good. When I went to, I started therapy last year and it had been a while since I had actually gone for myself And I forgot how powerful it was to just sit in a room with a person who had no judgment towards you. And I think, I think the problem is we think we're in charge of changing people, but that doesn't actually change people. I think just 
being with them and showing them that that love is what changes people that we have the we have our own internal resources to realize that we need to work on different things but when we feel safe enough to do it then we're also empowered to do it right yes. and i experienced that in my in my own life where i'm like oh this is what it's lo- like to share just the deepest darkest parts of myself and to be received with care and kindness and that's what god does for us and so when we sit in that that's where the change happens that's why the the cross is so powerful not because of anything that we've done but because of this god who decided to send his son and show us unconditional love regardless of our stories or where we come from and man it's just powerful and life-changing. It's life-changing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly look at how many years this has been um, a relevant part of society and history. And uh, anyways, that's getting down a whole different thing. But I just, I also think too, like whenever I'm in a doubting season or a wondering if, if certain things are real or true, I also just look at like how long it's standing the test of time and how many people are saying this has happened for me. It can happen for you too. And uh, it's just, there's something undeniable about it for me. Um, Tabitha, thanks for for sharing all of this. As we kind of wrap up our conversation, I'd love if you would give any tangible advice for someone who is either currently experiencing rejection in any type of way or someone who's just struggling. Maybe they've listened to this conversation. They're like, dang, I think I'm hurting and I might need some help to heal. What would you say to those people? Yeah. I think, I mean, it's cliche, but I think finding somebody in your life who can show you that unconditional love that we were talking about is really powerful. I realize that's not always an option. And um, sometimes community is hard to tap into, but that is why therapists are a good, you know, option and resource. And I think if they don't know God, I mean, that is a really also great place to begin that there's so many examples of how he tends to the forsaken and the marginalized and the ostracized and the rejected and the dismissed and the spurned. I mean, over and over and over again, we see story after story of Christ reaching beyond political or geographical or cultural boundaries to reach these people who feel like they have nothing for them, but that's, he wants to show his love. Um, and so just even tangibly, one of my favorite stories, especially is the woman at the well, um, where Jesus goes and has this beautiful encounter with her reading. That is such a good reminder of how he meets us when we feel rejected. And when we have a life that might look so, um, different than everyone else's around us, And then I think even more tangibly, I mean, this is silly, but something that really helped me to come home to myself and to learn how to show compassion to myself, like I said, I think that's a really uh, important step in healing was I started running again. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that in high school and in, um, in middle school. And just to be able to feel my body and to like be willing to go slow and steady in something that now as a 35 year old woman with three children, like running is a totally different experience than I was 
years old. Like there's a lot more jiggle jiggle, you know? Um, But being able to learn to be okay with the parts of myself that feel tender and weak was so important. And then even being able to see myself become stronger every time that I stepped back into my running shoes was just a really beautiful experience. And it might not be running for, for someone else. It could be something else, but allowing yourself to feel that weakness, but then also see your strength reemerge, um, can really be just a healing catalyst for, for healing. Yeah. That is so good, man. If I hope people will listen all the way to this point, because that was, that was so good. So helpful. So encouraging. I appreciate it so much. We're going to link, um, Tabitha's newsletter in our show notes so you could get her persistent pep talks. Wait, did I say it wrong? Pep talks for the persistent soul. There we go. I love it. I love alliteration. That's so good. Um, It's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being at the table with us. Yes. Thank you for having me and for making space.